decided that we would sail for Italy. Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. We boarded a ship from Andromitium, about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. The next day, we landed at Sidon, and Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends so they might provide for his needs. From there, we put out to sea again and passed to the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. When we had sailed across the open sea off the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra in Lycia. There, the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off Snedus. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the Lee of Crete, opposite Salmon. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens, near the town of Lycia. Much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the fast. So Paul warned them. Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbor in Crete, facing both southwest and northwest. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they thought they had obtained what they wanted, so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Hoda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. When the men had hoisted it aboard, they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. Fearing that they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. After the men had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God whose I am and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So, keep up your courage, men. 
For I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea, when about midnight, the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless those men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it fall away. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now, I urge you to take some food. <laughs> you need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. Daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. <laughs> But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get their own planks or on pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land in safety. One safely on. So Acts 27, Paul is moving inch by inch closer to his destiny. He made his defense before Felix, Festus, and Agrippa. And the common theme between all of those people that he stood before is they found no fault in him. 
Remember, uh, it seemed like it was beginning to sound like Pilate when Jesus was in front of him. Because these leaders had no bone to pick with Paul, yet the religious power brokers wanted him dead and they wanted to trump up charges. Felix, Festus, and Agrippa, they can't find a thing wrong with him, but they feel obligated to send him to Rome. Why? Because he appealed to Caesar. Now think about this. It would be easy to see Paul's appeal to Caesar at this point as a miscalculation. Did anyone get that? Because what did... What did the king say there last week, Agrippa, he said, if he hadn't appealed to Caesar, we probably could just let him go. So here's Paul, and he knows that. And you think, well, you know, man, Paul, if you just wouldn't have said, send me to Caesar, I'm a Roman citizen, you know, you might have been free at this point. That was a miscalculation. You know, sometimes when we're in situations, if we can be honest, our mouths can become a problem for us. Come on, I don't have my glasses on, but don't try and look holy. I can see you're trying to look holy from here. You know, we say things and we, we, we demand things and we, we spout off without thinking. Have you ever just started to spout off and your mouth was in full engage and your mind hadn't even caught up with it yet? You might look at Paul and say, oh, you know, Paul, if you just would have, you know, calmed down, if you just would have kind of rode this out, you know, you made a miscalculation. You know, sometimes our mouths do that for us. And, you know, we've all done it. I know I have. But this time was not one of those times. And it's important for us to understand this because if we're reading this and we're paying attention, it might seem like that, but it's not. Because Paul spoke the words that the Lord put in his mouth. And he was meant to go to Rome. He knew it. It was his destiny. Jesus came to him in a dream and told him, you're going to testify for me there. So Paul knew he hadn't made a miscalculation. These guys who were judging him, they thought, you know, this guy really stepped in it here. We're going to just send him to Rome and see what happens. Sometimes we say too much, but if we say what the Lord puts in our mouths, we'll never have any regrets. Amen to that. So God's way can often be more difficult and drawn out. Uh, you know, than uh, the way we would plot things. Did you ever, like, you know, the fastest uh, way between two points is a straight line, right? As the crow flies. Do you ever notice God doesn't do as the crow flies? I mean, his path is uphill, uphill again, downhill, valley, stuck in the valley, you know, a a moment on the mountain, there's pauses and there's stops. (coughs) There's all these things that we contend with in life that They don't seem to make sense to us. God's way can be difficult at times. It can be drawn out. It can be painful, and it can be frustrating. But listen to me. There is no substitute for doing the will of God. There's none. Well, I took a shortcut, Pastor. No, every shortcut I ever manufactured for myself turned into a long cut. Ask my wife. I'm not allowed to make up shortcuts anymore. So shortcuts are not, you know, well, let's just make this easier. And that's sometimes the cry of our heart. God, just make it easy. God, just make it smooth. God, take away the resistance. Take away the trouble. Take away the accusers. Take away the people who've got an in for me. And, you know, many times, if we're honest, we go through stuff like that in life, and, and we're, we're almost angry at God. Is it just me? No? We're angry at God because we know if he wanted to, he could make it easier. But I found out everything I've gone through was not God's issue that he was just trying to make it more difficult. It was me that I needed rough edges ground off in my life. 
so it's, it's good that I get to confess my problems to you. But God, God never just makes us jump through hoops, you know, for his, you know, pleasure, like, let's see what I can get him to put up with. No, everything I've gone through, everything Paul is going through, it's for a purpose, and it doesn't seem like it at the moment, but trust me, it is. In the final analysis, our lives are going to make sense. Julius is the Roman centurion who's been given charge over Paul, and it's no picnic being in the custody of someone else's charge. It's a humbling experience. When you lose your liberty, uh, this evening before we started, and I just you know, thank God for the liberties we have. When you lose your liberty, Paul was in chains. And as pleasant as his attitude was and as, as nice as the Holy Spirit was in providing his needs, it's never pleasant to lose your liberty. Remember that. Don't put yourself in a position where, like Esau, you squander your blessings. You squander your liberties. I see America like Esau now. Ah, freedom, who needs it? Constitution, who needs it? Some, at some moment, we might need it. And so, you know, he's lost his liberty. He's in change. It's no picnic. Uh, he's being denied his freedoms. Yet, Julius seems to be favorable towards Paul. And you say, well, how did that happen? How does a, a Jewish guy who's a problem, who needs to be transported to Rome get put in charge of a centurion who seems to have favor on him. That's the favor of the Lord, amen? amen? If we're doing the right thing, if we're doing God's thing with the right attitude, God can give us favor even with our enemies. There were times where Israel just had peace with their enemies. Why? They were in God's perfect will, and God allowed that to happen. So Julius is that centurion. He's a pretty good God. I mean, he's a pretty good guy, and God put him there, but Paul had lost his liberty, and so it's no picnic. In verse 2, Paul's packed aboard a ship. Why? Because he's got to get to Rome. Sailing was the means of transit. You know, we think it's frustrating to go to the airport and fly somewhere. You know, there's a reason for that expression. You, I'm going to put you on a slow boat to China. Did you ever hear that? If you've ever, if you've ever been on a ship for a long time, I mean, this, this was the means of transit, yet it was an arduous and dangerous way to travel. And here he's packed onto this ship, He's headed, you know, he's headed to Rome. There's a lot of stresses. There's a lot of danger. But this was mass transit in the day. And so here Paul goes, verse 3. They make a quick stop in Sidon. And Julius proves to be a gracious person. He shows Paul favor because he lets him have his liberty. He allows Paul to visit his friends and to refresh himself. You know, there again, Paul had to be a pretty amazing guy and an exemplary prisoner. For this guy to, you know, yeah, go, go see your friends, go get refreshed, go get a shower and a hot meal, you know. And he lets them. And there again, I want you to see the favor of God there. Sidon is the stop. Paul gets his liberty. He refreshes himself by his very gracious uh, centurion there. No doubt this is both God's favor and the result of Paul's submissive demeanor and integrity. Julius could tell this guy, he's, he's not going to disappear. He's not going to give me a hard time. You know, he trusts him, and that's an amazing thing. In trials, we can make things harder on ourselves if we get bitter and nasty and arrogant in those trials because we, it's like a repellent that everyone's around us. Have you ever seen somebody go through something, and they were bitter, and they were nasty, and they were complaining all the time? And you know what? And nobody wanted to deal with them. Nobody, I mean, nobody wanted to give them favor, even people who would have been favorable. Why? Because the, the arrogance and the bitterness and the complaining incited them against them. That wasn't Paul. Paul's not going kicking and screaming here. He's going 
willingly. He's compliant, not to the Roman will, but to the will of God. So, you know, just remember when you're in trials, you got problems at work, you got problems in your neighborhood, you got problems in your house. Try and keep a good attitude. Try and stay humble. Try and stay positive. You know, marriage is a place of conflict where many people get, you know, entrenched in these conflicts. And you got you to gotta remember you're on the same team, amen? When, when you said, I do, it wasn't ding, ding in this corner, weighing none of your business, right? No, this conflict that we create for ourselves with bad attitudes is counterproductive. Paul didn't do that. He was humble. He was happy, he was compliant, and he got favor because of it. Verse four and five show us the difficulties that arise by traveling at sea. They had bad wind, bad weather, slow going, resistance. There were no guarantees that you know they, they were gonna get to where they wanted to go at a specific time. Everything seemed to be stacked against them. Now, listen to me, there's no guarantees for us that life will be easy. Maybe, maybe at some seasons in your life, you feel like Paul's journey here. You know, everything is about to come unglued and go wrong. And so you say, well, why, there again, why does that happen? God knows why. God knows how to, you know, grind the rough edges off us. He knows how to prune us. He knows how to humble us. Did you ever notice when things go good for a long time, we either get lax or cocky? Come on, Wednesday night. You didn't have that hard a day at work. Respond. We either get lax or cocky. So, you know... Things are about to ratchet up here. Bad wind, bad weather, slow going, resistance. Uh, verse six, Julius secures a ship headed for Alexandria. So the first stop, Sidon, was easy. Here, now we're gonna take the long leg of the trip to Alexandria. They board the ship and the, the journey to Rome continues. Now, the journey was not going well. Verse seven through nine show us that this particular season was not a great season, not the best season for travel. The winds were not in their favor. Now realize, with sailing, everything is about the winds. These weren't motorboats, right? This wasn't a jet. So even with planes, winds have a, an effect, but the winds were not in their favor. It was not a good season to travel. Most people avoided travel at certain seasons. Uh, and there again, this was stacked against Paul. You think, oh man, can't you just get me there quick and easy? It's not gonna be quick and it's not gonna be easy. Verse eight speaks of a place called Fair Havens. <laughs> Sounds like a bad motel, doesn't it? Fair Havens, it was named that because it was a great place to stop for the winter to wait for better traveling conditions. So they're like, you know, winter here, but they're not gonna stay at Fair Havens. They're gonna, they're gonna press on because they wanna stay at the Hilton, I guess. So verse nine through 10, Paul's, Paul's a prisoner and he speaks up and gives the guys in charge, the centurions, some travel advice. Did, did you find that a little bit interesting? You know, here he's a captor, he's, he's in chains, he's their prisoner, yet he speaks up and he gives his captors traveling advice. Now that's a little gutsy and it's probably a little out of line, but Paul is bold and he speaks his mind, he's not shy. And he tells them, he warns them and his warning turns out to be prophetic. He, as, you know, as the ship and its cargo and their lives were in peril if they continued on this journey. Now here's the prisoner telling the jailers, you know, guys, let me give you some warning here. Let me give you some travel advice. We need to settle in and not travel anymore because the ship's gonna get destroyed. Our lives are gonna be in peril. It's gonna be bad. So there again, he says 
what he has to say, and it's not necessarily that, you know, he has a place to say it, but uh, he speaks his mind. The ship's owners and the sailors contradict Paul's warning. So now here the guy who owns the ship, who really has the most to lose, he says, no, 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 it's going to be good. And the sailors who, you know, are experts in their field, they say, no, 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 we're going to be fine. Verse 11, not surprisingly, the centurion listens to the experts. Hello. Do you notice the world loves to listen to the experts? How many times, even in the last little things that we've been through, have the experts been completely wrong? Man, they can't take a correct poll. They can't guess, you know, how things are going to spread, how many. I mean, wrong, 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 wrong. God often frustrates the experts because he wants them to know that their statistics and their experience and their intelligence is no match for his providence. He's in control. So the experts say, let's go for it. It's going to be fine. Paul says, no, no, no. We're going to have a, a bad time if we travel. So the experts say, go. He listens to them. They risk seeking a better port to winter in. You know, God's prophets and godly leaders of today and of yesterday are always ignored by the lost world. The prophets warned Israel over and over again. The men of God who spoke to the generations warned over and over again, warned the world, and they're ignored. Why? Because the world rather listened to their experts. The experts use technology, and they use science, and they use statistics, and they're much more esteemed than the, those who hear the voice of Almighty God. But there's going to come a time when people will hang on every word that the people of God have to say because nothing else is going to work. And I believe that. We've seen it throughout history. Uh, the church might seem irrelevant to many in our generation, but I believe God's going to turn things around until we're very relevant because the experts will be frustrated by the providence of God. Verse 12 and 13, they take a decided gamble. They want to go to a better port. And, and suddenly the winds shift ever so slightly. Did you see that? The wind shifted just a little bit. They had a little bit, you know, of, of the direction that they needed. So, you know, it, it wasn't a pattern. It wasn't for days. It was just a quick shift. Paul's counsel's not follow, followed. So they, they say, let's go for it, you know. Let's go. We got the wind that we want. We're going to take it. We're going to go for it. Paul is pushed aside. The ship is boarded and they sail. Now, speaking the word of the Lord as Paul did, comes with some risk. I hope you kind of watched in the video, they kind of ignored him and he just kind of faded off into the background. You know, when your counsel isn't taken, you know, it's kind of a, it's, it's kind of a slap in the face. It's kind of them saying, hey, we don't care what you say or what you think, go sit down. So uh, it, it looks like, you know, Paul is just kind of sloughed off. Now, when we need to speak the word of the Lord at times, a lot of times we get shy. Can anyone say Amen because we're afraid to go out on the limb, because there are a lot of variables that we need to think of. Did, did I really hear God say that? If I'm going to get up and tell everybody what I think God said, <laughs> I better have heard God. You know, did I hear God clearly? Was that the Lord's voice, or was it my own emotions? A lot of times, our emotions get out in front of us, and boy, they can really cloud the voice of the Lord to us. I don't care how spiritual you think you are, if you are emotional, do not make decisions. <laughs> and some of you are not going to listen to me, and we'll have a couple counseling appointments. <laughs> because when you're emotional, it gets hard to hear God. And, you know, the experts had spoken. Paul says what he thinks, you know, God told him. Now, I'm sure Paul was 
sure that he heard the Lord, but I'm talking about us when we have to speak up. Did we hear him clearly? Was that the Lord's voice? Was it our emotions? Are we gonna look like fools if it doesn't come to pass? Come on, not one Christian, not one prophet, not one human being has ever felt like, you know, I, I wanna make a fool of myself and I'm just gonna blurt this out. So Pastor Mike, when, when we hear God, we better make sure we hear God. And we better make sure it's not our emotions before we speak, before we say, thus saith the Lord. I grew up in a generation where everybody said, thus saith the Lord, and hardly any of it came to pass. Thus saith the Old Testament, they stoned you for that. They stoned the prophets when they were wrong. Hello. So, you know, Paul, like us, had to take a risk, and he spoke, and at the risk of looking like a fool, they rejected what he said, uh, but his, his words are going to come to pass. So they take off, they get a little good wind, they hug the coast of Crete, and things are iffy at best, but they take the chance. Verse 14 through 20, Paul's warning comes to pass. It comes quickly. Things are only going okay for a little while. It was iffy, but then everything comes unglued. Things rapidly go from bad to worse in a hurry. Verse 14 and 15, they basically have a nor'easter hit. There's a massive wind that comes up. Now they can't navigate through the wind. The crew gives the ship over to the mercy of the wind. They, the rudder would snap if they try to go against it. So now now they're just being driven along by the wind. Boy, how quickly did that turn around? Yep. What happened to the experts? They should be the first ones thrown overboard. But, you know, it got bad and things were bad. They hugged the coast in verse 16 and 17 to try and stay out of the wind, almost running the ship aground. Finally, they drop anchor and let the current drag them. So now they're just, they're throwing their anchors down and they're letting the wind slowly drag them. They're at the mercy of the wind. If you've ever been on the ocean, if you've ever been out there where you can't see land in any direction, it is a very humbling thing. You realize how small and insignificant we are, amen? Don't you feel small, man? You just, you know, you feel like a little piece of bait floating out there because basically you are. <laughs> and this massive wind is just driving the ship, driving them along. It's real peril. It's real danger. It's a real stressful situation. Things are bad, but they're about to get worse. And this, this is one thing I want to point out. When things are bad, how many have ever been through something bad? Some people aren't raising their hand. God bless you. You should write a book. But if you've been through something bad, I wanna, I wanna tell you something, don't complain. You know what, the more I read scripture, the more I see the Old Testament, the more I, I listen to God's response, God does not like complaining. Does not like it. It incites him. It gets him hot. You see, see how the children of Israel, when they complain, man, God answered quick and hot. So when you're going through something tough, don't complain. You say, Pastor, but it's bad. Yeah, but it can always get worse. I found out in life, things are bad, but they can always get worse. You know, we, we've been going through this season of quarantine, and then, then all of a sudden, we didn't have power for five days. So, you know, if you're complaining about quarantine, now no power. The other day, we just got our power on where we live after five days, and then we found out we ran, ran out of oil. We had no hot water. I was like, I feel like Jonah. I'm not going to complain. I don't know what's next. I don't even want to guess. But you know, we shouldn't complain. We should thank the Lord. If we're drawing breath, if we're alive, you know, I mean, let's just be thankful. Find something to be thankful for. 
A man, an old quote, a man said, I complained that I had no shoes till I met the man who had no feet. Wow, think about that. I complained that I had no shoes till I met the man who had no feet. It can always get worse. Things were getting worse here in this situation. They were in a fierce storm. There were no stars. It was pitch black. And they were now tossing cargo overboard to save themselves. What a dire situation this is. When a ship owner is throwing cargo overboard, that means they are down to the wire because you throw that cargo out, now you're either responsible for it or your journey is totally a waste. Now you're broke. You know, you're just fighting to survive. Eventually, their morale was totally broken. Look what it says. From then on, all hope of our being saved was gradually abandoned. Could you imagine 200 plus people in there, they're throwing cargo overboard, they're in dark, fierce, black storm, and all hope of being saved was gradually abandoned. Their morale was as low as it could get. Verse 21 is classic. The entire crew is battered. They're defeated. They're hungry. And now they've lost all hope. And Paul decides to do this. I told you so. Did you catch that? Paul's like, oh, you should have listened to me. And I'm thinking, Paul, this is, this is what they told us not to do when they're right. You know, when you're right, just be quiet. When you're wrong, be quiet. Just be quiet. Paul's like, you know, you ought to have followed my advice and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this damage and loss. So Paul does the proverbial, I told you so, when all hope is lost. Now, Paul wasn't being arrogant and he wasn't being proud. Here's what he was doing. He was seizing an opportunity to establish his spiritual authority for the, sh- the sake of all those on the ship. God, guys, you should have listened to me and please, you need to listen to me now, Okay. And they're going to realize that Paul wasn't just a guy in chains who was on the ship and all the experts who were in charge were really not in charge. Something divine was going on here. Paul had to get to where he was going. It's kind of like a Christian on an airplane who it's not their time to die. Guess what? Everybody else on the plane gets to live. It doesn't crash. Sometimes I'll be flying in a plane. I got things to do. You all okay today. Nobody's going to die. So Paul knew he had the favor of God. He knew, he knew what he was, his destiny was, and he knew he was going to make it. But he uses this opportunity to exert his spiritual authority because it was in the people's best interest in that predicament to listen to him. So please listen to what I have to say to you. Verse 22 through 26, Paul gives the crew a spiritual pep talk. The whole crew and the passengers, everybody, he tells them, keep your courage. There will be no loss of life. Uh, just the ship will be lost. Then he says, as an angel appeared to me in a dream. How many know that? That probably got everybody's attention. You know, at this point, they're looking at him, I hope. An angel spoke to you and said that because nobody wanted to die. But, you know, now he's, he's got it all out there. He's taking all the risk. He's standing up and he's speaking the word of the Lord. Uh, an angel spoke to me in a dream. I have to go to Rome. And God has granted me all the lives on this ship. You see that? That's spiritual authority. That's spiritual power. And Paul wasn't ashamed to wield it. The ship will run aground on an island. So he tells them how how it's going to go. Verse 27 through 32, just as Paul had said, the ship began to run aground. They were dropping ropes and trying to, you know, see how many fathoms there were. And quickly, you know, the water was getting more shallow. So the crew drops anchor and they try to save themselves. After Paul's pep talk, after the Spirit of God speaks to him, what does the crew do? They try to abandon ship. 
and leave the crew and the soldiers and everybody else there. So they get in the lifeboat and they're like, yeah, we're gonna work with some anchors. Yeah, that's what we're gonna do. And what, again, what happens? The Roman soldiers are out in left field. Paul says to them, hey guys, if you wanna live, he didn't say, if I wanna live, because he knew God was protecting. If you wanna live, you gotta stop these guys. So the Roman soldiers, now they don't tell Paul to sit down and shut up, old man. They listen to what he says. And they realize he has understanding and he has discernment and they realize what's happening. So they, they go and they cut the lifeboat and they drop it themselves so the crew can't abandon them and let them get wrecked in that spot. So now Paul is asserting his spiritual authority and people are beginning to recognize his spiritual authority. Uh, he gives them the insight and they listen to him. Verse 33 through 34, Paul says it has been 14 days. Could you imagine that? Two weeks. Well, we went out with we were out with power for just a little while. Didn't that seem like you know we were pioneers? No, you like that little house on a prairie? No. Kids wandering in the house with their phones, not knowing what to do. Fourteen days in the weather, in the storm. Uh, what a mess! What a trial! two weeks of that, Paul encourages them that none of them will perish, and he tells them to eat and refresh themselves. This guy's amazing, man. He's got all this stuff on his mind. He's like, you know, he's like the flight attendant. He's passing out food. Here, have some peanuts, you know, take courage. It's going to be okay. I'm working hard up here. You guys are just looking at me. (laughs) All right, so Paul's doing something here. He, you know, he tells them, you know, to take courage, and he refreshes them. Paul proves to be what all of us need to be. He's an encourager. All of us need to be encouragers. Anybody complain, anybody can fault find, anybody can criticize, amen? When you're at work, in your neighborhood, at the baseball field, wherever you are, don't pile on. People criticize and complain and attack leadership. They attack the boss, the coach, the, 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 the family in the neighborhood. Listen, be an encourager. In a world of critics and judges, be an encourager. And that's, you know, Paul could have sat there and been like, Lord, just drown all these idiots and get me where I got to go. In fact, you know, some of us have been thinking that. But he, he encouraged them. And, and he saw that, you know, God had given the, the, the lives of the people on the ship to him. So, you know, it, was, it meant something to him. Verse 39, uh, 35 through 37 Paul's word is finally respected. He prays and he breaks bread and all of the 276 of them eat and are encouraged. So they, they, there's no mutiny. They're not fighting with each other. They're listening to the man of God. He encourages them. Verse 39 through 41, they try to save the ship. They try to run it aground on the shore. They, they do what sailors do. The experts, they did their best. They put the sail up. They dropped the anchors. They threw off the cargo. But no, it doesn't go their way. The ship runs aground on, on a, a reef, as it were. Now the front of the ship is stuck. The, the waves and the current are hitting the back, and the thing begins to break apart. I mean, think of the Titanic here on a smaller version. It's scary. Scary moment here. Uh, the reef is breaking things up. Uh, God, you know, did promise that no one would die, um, but he never promised us in life that we wouldn't go through scary moments. How many of you have been through scary moments, difficult situations, life and death stuff? You know, sometimes life is difficult. Sometimes it's scary. But we, like Paul, 
have to be faithful to do God's perfect will, even at our own peril, because our reward is with the Lord. Amen. This chapter ends here, verses 42 through 44. The soldiers, you know, seeing that the ship's breaking up and they're going to have to swim for sure, they do what soldiers do. They get ready to kill the prisoners. Romans didn't have jailbreaks. Romans either delivered their prisoners or, or alive or dead, but they didn't have jailbreaks. If you lost your prisoner, that was your life. You know, you didn't get a union rep and get, you know, reprimanded and lose a pay grade. Uh, that's funny. I don't care who you are. Soldiers were about to kill the prisoners. Paul convinces them not to. Julius wanted to spare them. I'm sure particularly he wanted to spare Paul. So the centurions stay their swords. Everybody swims to shore. Everybody makes it alive. Everything Paul said came to pass. The experts were completely wrong. God had his way, and the man of God is still on his way to Rome to meet his destiny. And the chapter ends. Let's bow our heads. Father, I just thank you tonight for the book of Acts. And Lord, as we read these things, they seem at moments unnecessary. Why did Paul have to go through all this stuff? Why all the suffering? Why all the scary moments? Why all the trials? Why the life and death? God, in all these things, you prune us and you, you prove us and you build our character. And God, if we never went through anything hard, if we never went through anything scary, if we never had moments where we weren't sure how it was going to turn out, we'd never learn how to trust you. One of the greatest things that we could learn to do in life is to trust you completely so that fear has no place in us. Lord, I know you proved yourself to Paul, and I know you've proved yourself to us many times over, but God, help us to drive fear out and to have complete trust in you. There's a lot of fear-mongering going on in our world right now, God, and we, we've heard the experts, and we're shocked at how wrong they've been. But God, let us hear your voice so that we can trust in you, and our hope is in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.